Okay, so we're continuing our series called Give, Pray, and Fast. And as we mentioned before, these are three practices Jesus mentions in Matthew 6 in his great Sermon on the Mount. And we've been looking at how Jesus teaches them and how he's taught other people in the Bible to practice them. And so uh, we've learned that it's not giving and praying faster, but it's about giving, praying, and fasting. So do you mind saying that with me? Give, pray, fast. Today, we're going to finish the last part of talking about prayer. Next week, we'll spend the last two weeks of this nine-week series talking about fasting. Now, when we talk about prayer today, I want to talk to you about praying for others. But before we get to that, let me just review what we did last week. Last week, Steve taught us about praying the Psalms, how we can pray the Scripture. When we don't necessarily know the right words or the right ideas of how to pray, Is there any help? Yes, in the middle of the Bible, the prayer book of the Bible, Psalms, can help us. Now, that's the Old Testament, and we're also going to talk today about how God can help us by praying, by looking at some passages in the New Testament. But if you're following along, what I hope you'll see, something Steve said last week and I want to repeat again this week, is when you think about praying, don't separate Bible reading from prayer. In other words, don't separate your Bible reading, your Bible meditation, when you're thinking about what you're learning in the Bible. We talk about being in the Bible every day together as a church. It's not just for extra credit Christians. But then when we're in our Bible each day and we're getting better acquainted, to actually understand that those things can actually shape our prayers. They can actually become some of the ways we pray. And I don't know if you know this, but Jesus practiced this. Did you know that with his dying breath, he prayed a psalm? Look at Psalm 31.5, if you would. Into your hands I commit my spirit, the psalm writer says. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Now look in the New Testament, Luke 23. This is Jesus on the cross, his last few moments. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. He was praying the psalms. He was praying scripture. Now, again, some of you know that already this service, we've had Psalm 100, Psalm 118, and Psalm 136 have all been some of the songs we've been singing. So we've actually been singing prayers. We've actually been singing scripture together and back to God in praise. Uh, But, you know, you and I can. I mean, it is possible to pray the Psalms in a way that may not be the same idea God had in mind. I read this story this week about a little girl who was being punished by eating alone in the corner of the dining room. The family paid no attention to her until they heard her pray this. I thank you, Lord, for preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. (laughs) Now, that's one way to pray Psalm 23. I'm not sure that's the, the idea. So when we talk about praying scripture, I'm not talking about proof texting and turning things around, but we can learn this. Now, this week, again, I want to talk to you, if you're following along in the notes, of how we can pray, how Jesus taught Paul to pray for others. We can learn to pray how Jesus taught Paul to pray for others. I don't know if you know this, but the Apostle Paul, who had once been so against Jesus, would eventually be led by Jesus to write half, almost half the New Testament. And what we find in those passages that he wrote, he says, according to Galatians 1, the message that I shared with you, that I both wrote about and that I preached, it did not come from human sources. I met him on the Damascus Road, and then through time in Arabia and other places, through direct revelation, he taught me what I share with you, including how to pray. 
Now, I list out to the right John 17 because if you ever want to see the prayer Jesus prayed for us and his disciples, you can read that. It's a powerful prayer, and I urge you to do that at some point. But you can see how Jesus taught Paul. So when we come to the New Testament, do we have any help for praying for others? And the answer is yes. Now, I won't be able to answer all your questions today about praying for others because there's a lot of mysteries involved in praying for others, a lot of questions, a lot of things that get us stuck sometimes. But I hope that through getting this on the table of how Paul learned to pray for others, that it can help influence and shape your prayers. Let me just tell you a couple of things that I've been thinking about as I've been working on this this week. Um, If you were to ask me when I first became conscious about how important praying for others is, I would take you back to the house that I grew up in in Danville. I grew up there uh, with my brother and sister, my parents, and there on 2307 North Jackson Street, we lived in a split-level ranch house. And I remember that many mornings as I was getting ready for school, my parents' door would be shut, and they had explained to us that each morning before Dad left for work, that they would kneel by their bed there, and that they would pray for each one of us kids. They not only prayed for us kids, but they prayed for other people as well. But we knew that we weren't supposed to get in arguments or be pounding on the door interrupting them because they were praying for us before we went to school. And I remember thinking to myself, huh, I wonder wonder what that does, praying for us. And as time went on, I know they prayed many mornings, but there was a time later in my life when I became a teenager And I made some really stupid decisions, and I decided to turn away from God. And during those times, I'm really glad that the door, behind those closed doors, my parents were wrestling in prayer for me. My grandparents were doing the same, and they'll tell you that that was one of the most purifying, wrestling times with God they've ever had. But it was one of those times where I felt the power of them praying for me And I know that there is something about this. Well, then it became my turn later in life when I became a follower of Christ and people would say, hey, pray for me. It's like, okay. And then I'd bow my head. And You ever had this happen? You bow your head and go, what do I say? Uh, mm." And I remember that I kind of got in this habit of going, Lord, be with Bob. I know you already are with them, but be with them. I remember just thinking, I don't think that's necessarily the most powerful prayer because I think he already is. So now what do I do? Like really be with Bob, you know? (laughs) And then I'd sometimes pray, you know, God God bless Bob, you know, even though I didn't know what the word bless meant, but it sounded positive. (laughs) And so there just became this possibility of just using really, you know, churchy words or using phrases. And again, I just, I found myself at a loss. So as I got a little bit older, uh, we had a couple that was older than me that was kind of like my second parents, and they told me one day, we pray Colossians 1, 9 through 12 over your life every day. I go, huh. And eventually I realized that they they had something that was kind of shaping their prayers. And I realized that they were using one of Paul's prayers to kind of shape their prayers for me. And I remember thinking, wow. Now, I talked to a guy this week, and I said, you know, every time you pray, what do you find are some of your struggles when you pray for others? And he said two things that really struck me. He says, when I pray for others, sometimes I just feel like I'm praying generalities. It just doesn't seem very specific or very sharp. It's just kind of general, vague. 
He says, I'm not really comfortable with that. And the second thing he said was, and sometimes I find that I just keep cycling through the same prayer over and over again, and it just gets stale. So I was thinking, okay, maybe Paul's prayers can be helpful to him and helpful to us. So what I'm hoping is that by the time you walk to your car today, and then you sled and skate out to your car, (laughs) that you will be able to say, you know, I learned something today that helped me understand that I can do this. I can, I can pray for someone, and I have some help with it. I have something that, in the New Testament that will help guide me. And I hope that as you do it, that God will meet you in those prayer times and teach you things, and so that you may be able to pray for other people one day. Now, I told you that my parents prayed behind closed doors, but there were other times when the door opened, and they put their hand on my shoulder and pray for me. Sometimes we prayed with each other. Sometimes they prayed apart from each other, but for each other. And so you and I can do it in all kinds of ways. I don't know what you picture when you think of praying for other people. If you picture just always having to go behind closed door, you can do this in your car. Like Dr. Seuss says, you can do it on the land. You know what I mean? There's lots of places that you and I can pray for others. But I want to just ask right now if you'd pray with me. What I want to do is we're going to look at Paul's prayers, kind of an overview way, then look at some of the prayers in the New Testament. Before we do that, I'm going to actually talk to you about some questions that I've learned to ask myself when I go to pray for others that kind of get me unstuck. And so let's just pray right now that God somehow will use this time and it won't be wasted time, okay? Now, Lord, I know every Sunday there are people here that are still on the way with you, that may be skeptical. There are people here that have believed in you for many years. And so in between that huge span, I pray you'd meet each one of us wherever we are. And I ask that somehow, as I give myself to you, that you would help me help people like you intended all along. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so these are some questions to consider. By the way, I told you about Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Would you read that first verse with me in, uh, in the gray box, please? For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now that's the first part of Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Notice he said, you know, when I first heard about you, I I met a guy this week that he says every time someone comes across his mind, he's learning to think, God wants me to pray for that person. I don't know exactly what, but he's reminding me to pray for that person. I thought that was really helpful. So here's three questions to consider, all right? The first is, if you're following along, do I believe God works as I pray for others? Do I believe God works as I pray for others? For others. Would you mind looking down at that second gray box and reading that with me, please? On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. What the Apostle Paul says is, look, we just went through some really desperate times. God brought us through them. We're going to continue to hope in him and believe that he'll continue to deliver us. But part of the way he's going to do that is as you help us by your prayers. Your prayers are part of the way that God's going to work. And I guess the reason I ask this question when I start to pray sometimes is because I'm not always so sure God works when I pray. I may go through a season where I start to have doubts. And let me tell you where I think that comes from. We live in a culture that is constantly being bombarded by the lie of what I call fatalism. Fatalism says this. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's already been predetermined. It doesn't matter what you and I do. So why even pray? 
And it has led to a kind of apathy in our country and a kind of reckless irresponsibility sometimes that is really huge. So when we go to bow our heads to pray, maybe you've had something like this happen. You say, hey, I prayed for somebody once and they died. I prayed for somebody once and they got worse. I prayed for someone and it, it, it didn't seem like God was a country mile near their life. And if that happens, what are you going to do? You're stuck. You say, oh, it's not even worth it to pray for someone. And the Bible tells us is that along with those kinds of things to combat, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We have an enemy who is constantly lying to us and trying to convince us that God does not have power, that he cannot do things, and he is not at work. But when you and I begin to, by faith, believe what the scripture says is that somehow God works as we pray, then it begins to give us the ability to begin praying. Now, some of you say, well, I still, I'm not sure I can get there. Well, here's how I pray sometimes when I get stuck in that spot. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe that somehow, I can't picture it. It's like electricity. I can't see it, I can't explain it, but I believe that somehow, as I pray, you are at work. I believe it was a few years ago when we were going through the letter of Colossians that I was working on the message in chapter one one day, and I think that I, was, I had our middle son, Luke, on my mind, and I was praying for him at school, and it was like the Lord, across the ticker of my mind, just whispered this idea, Jeff, right now, as you pray for Luke, what I want you to do is I want you to somehow picture me taking your prayer and connecting it to Luke's life and my work in his life, and I'm going to use that prayer. Even though you can't see it, I'm going to use that, and I want you to believe that when you pray. And that helped me because sometimes I wasn't always able to make those connections. So, friends, you've got to ask yourself this question if you're going to pray for others. Do I really believe God works when I pray for others? The second one is, do I ask for more than their success, health, and safety? Do I ask for more than their success, health, and safety? Now, I want to walk through this very carefully, what I'm about to say. The Bible makes it quite clear that God is concerned about our success, our health, and our safety. There are a number of passages that show that he wants us to talk to him about everything including those concerns. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we make this world all there is when God has so much of a bigger picture in mind. And sometimes, he may actually allow us to go through danger and trouble and difficulty in order for us to still glorify him and be faithful. And in those times, we need to make sure that what we're praying for each other is that we'll be faithful and not just safe. And oh my goodness, friends, that is a totally different kind of prayer sometimes. So if I was to be honest, sometimes when I prayed for my kids, it was like, oh God, keep them safe. Oh God, let everything go perfect for them. Oh God. And I didn't want any, you know, just a normal understanding prayer. And the Lord just showed me one day, Jeff, it sounds like you're actually like your greatest goal for them is to become a successful American. And I got bigger ideas than that. So look at Acts 4. 29 through 31, if you would. This is how the early church, when they got threatened for talking about Jesus, 
And friends, the chances are this could happen to us. But now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You notice that prayer? You didn't say, now, Lord, now that they're threatening us, keep us safe. It's not that it would have been wrong for them to ask for that, but notice what their higher prayer was. Enable us to obey you even if they beat us. Enable us to do what you're asking us to do even if it means that it may not be that safe. Stretch out your hand to heal. Notice they also pray about healing people and health. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Why? Because we want you to work in all kinds of ways so that you bring glory to yourself, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit again and spoke the word of God boldly. Did God answer their prayer? And in the next chapter, they were beaten. But they were faithful. And friends, we need to pray that our kids will be faithful to Jesus, even if it costs them. We need to pray bigger prayers than just make sure they're never sick a day in their life, Lord. He cares about their health. He cares about those things. But he also is about helping shape our character to become like Jesus. The third question to consider is this. Do I believe my prayers play a role in my and another's maturity? Do I believe my prayers play a role in my and someone else's maturity? Sometimes when we pray, I've met people that say, well, it doesn't work. It didn't have any results. The thing I prayed for never happened. And he says, look, you know, God says, look, again, those are some of the mysteries of life that I don't have all the answers for. But here's what I want you to know. I've learned that praying is part of the process of how God grows us up. That it's in the learning how to pray daily. It's the learning how to wrestle through some of those mysteries and questions and things that baffle us and yet still calling on God, still trusting him, that actually brings about not only my maturity as I pray, but also their maturity as God answers. And when you and I were able to help each other like that, we remember the goal is not to be successful Americans so much as it is to become like Jesus Christ in his character. And man, that's huge. But do I actually believe that when I'm praying? God, right now, I believe that as I pray for Luke, that you can help deepen me so that I get to know you better as I pray for him. You can show me, shape, purify my prayers, but also work in him so he becomes more mature. Make sense? I want to add one, though. This is a classic pastor thing, isn't it? Can I add one more question to consider? And you may say, oh, man, where do I put it on the notes? I've got an idea. Right to the right of three questions to consider is where I put mine. And here's the question. Am I actually thinking of others? That's the fourth question I've been asking myself lately. Am I actually thinking of others? Can I just be honest with you? You know where the breakdown is for me praying for others? Sometimes I don't even think of others. Isn't that impressive? And so the Lord just said, look, part of what I want to do in your life is that you, so much of your life, you've been so wrapped up in yourself or you get so busy with the things that are understandable responsibilities, you get motoring along. Here's like sometimes how a day goes for me. Lord, please help me with this. Oh, please. God, please help me with this. Oh, God, please help me with this. See, and I'm doing all those things. And then I may basically get through a whole day, and it was all about 
me, 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 and there's nothing wrong. God wants to help me with those things, but he wants to make my life bigger than that. He wants to turn me out. He wants to make me interested in other people. So I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. A story that's helped me so much in this is William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, years ago, when he was an elderly man, right before he died, there was an international convention, even though he was from England, held in Kansas City. And the news was is that he was going to somehow, in his frail condition, make it to that convention and share his vision for the future of the Salvation Army. The place was packed. Early in the week of the convention, though, it was found out that he was not going to be able to make it across the ocean, and so he was going to send a telegram on the last night that was going to be read of his vision for the Salvation Army. So the place was packed out, and the guy stood in front of the whole group of people there on the platform, and he said, I have in my hands the telegram that William Booth has sent, and he opened it up, and as he opened it up, he was kind of surprised, and he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, William Booth's vision for the Salvation Army is just one word, and that word is others. There are days that I'll be motoring down the road of life, and the Holy Spirit will whisper to me just one word, Jeff, others. Some of you are going through an incredibly dry time with God. You don't even feel God. You feel far from God. Some of you might find yourself in a funk. You might find yourself in a depression. You might find yourself in such a deep pit of sadness. And so it may be counterintuitive. You're just so overwhelmed. Can I tell you one of the things that may help you begin to come out of that? Pray for others. Pray for yourself but pray for others. Let God turn you out and begin to show you that in the middle of what you're going through, he can make you a blessing to someone else because you feel more deeply or you know more real than most people just how important our prayers are. And you and I can do that. So those are questions that I consider. And I want to say one more thing. Sometimes we think that the only time to pray for people is in crisis. So we tend to reserve prayer for others when it gets really bad, as long as everything's going fine. So like we see people baptized and we go, okay, now they're a Christian. But I've noticed that the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. Anybody else notice this? And the chances of you walking with God over a number of years and going through times of discouragement, times of difficulty, times of being up against it are huge. But there's also times when you'll just have a whole number of just normal days, and it'll be real easy just to drift from God. We need to keep praying for others because sometimes God uses that. And so now I want to just talk to you about what I've been learning from Paul's prayers. Are you ready? Here's an overview. Here's an overview look. First, I've noticed that a lot of his prayers, he thanks God for those he prays for. He thanks God for those he prays for. If you look up here on the screen, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, this is just one example. I've listed it out to the right. But do you see that verse there? It says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. 
So when we think of you, man, we think about God's good work in your life and think about how he's working in your life. And we start our prayers so many times just by saying, thank you, God, for making them. Thank you for working in their lives. Some of you say, what if I pray for someone and I don't like them? And you go, God, I want to mean this, but thank you for making them. The point is, is when you start, think about God working in their life. I thank you that you can work even in their life, God, if you have to be that honest, okay? But thank God, this is something you can do. So like you bow your head. Someone says, would you pray for me? Maybe one of the first sentences you just say is, I just want to stop before I say anything else to you. I thank you for their life and how much is wrapped up potential in this person's life. And I thank you for them. Thank you, God, that we've met. Second thing is he keeps asking God to work in others' lives. He keeps asking God to work in other people's lives. Now, this is important because here's what I've noticed about when I've been learning how to pray for others. A lot of times when someone asks me to pray for them, I don't ever tell them this, but I, in my mind I think, sure, I can pray for them once. But sometimes God says, I want you to pray more than once. And so keep talking to me about them. Or we'll get in a situation where we're really, it's really overwhelming and we just go, I, I'm done, I quit. I'm not asking him anymore because it doesn't seem to make an dent. And he says, man, I, we keep asking the Lord to do certain things in your life and we understand how important that is. Third thing I hope you'll see is that he prays that people will know God's will so they can do God's will. He prays that people will know God's will so they can do God's will. He says, you know, more than anything else in life, while you're here, there's only so much time here on earth. I pray that you will know what God wants in your life, which has been revealed here in the scripture, and I pray that you'll do what God wants. That you don't just know it, but you'll also have the power to do it, and you'll have the want to to do it. I pray for that. Because ultimately, when all of life is said and done, like Steve taught us with the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done is the center of not only prayer, but life. It's about God being able to carry out what he is unfolding in the world and his good plan for the world. So the last thing here is he prays for Christians and non-Christians. He prays for Christians and non-Christians. I really appreciate this. Um, Again, the prayers I'm gonna talk to you about, these five uh, prayers are primarily for Christians and I'll show you a little bit of how I sometimes can make those applications for people that don't know Christ yet. But look at Romans 10.1 if you would. Here's what he says in one of his letters. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites. These were his fellow Israelites. He was an Israelite, but he'd come to believe in Jesus. And he was referring to Israelites that didn't yet believe in Jesus. My prayer is what? What does he pray? That they may be You know one of the prayers that honestly I pray sometimes? God, would you gloriously save people in our city? And I've told you before that I carry around a card with the initials of about 10 to 15 people that I know that I'm friends with that I care about who they don't yet believe in Jesus or they're hardcore resistant against trusting him. And I just want to be one of those people that prays for them. And I don't do it out of any superiority because I need the Lord as much as they do. I'm one beggar showing another beggar where there's bread. 
What the Bible says is this is an important prayer to pray. Some of you are here today because someone prayed that you would be saved, like my parents prayed for me, and it's powerful. But if you look here, by the way, I made a mistake there. It said 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. It's actually 1 Timothy, so can you change that number from a 2 to a 1 in front of the Timothy part? 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6, look what it says. Here's what he said to people when he was teaching them how to pray. I urge you, first of all, to pray for which people? Does God care about people outside our church building? A ton. Does God love people from other nations? Does God love people from other religions? Yes. He wants us to pray for all people we rub shoulders with. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks. There's that idea for them. Pray this way for kings. That was the ancient government structure Paul was in. And all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And then look at this. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants how many people to be saved, friends? Every person. And to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone by his death on the cross. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. So he says, man, I urge you to pray for every person. Intercede for them. But pray that every person you know can come to know Jesus Christ and be saved. Man, that's been a huge prayer for me. So at this point, I want to just ask you, Have you ever prayed for somebody and it didn't seem to make a difference? I read a story years ago that helped me. I went to Bristol, England years ago, and one of the most famous people from there is a guy named George Mueller. He was a Christian in the 1800s. He started orphanages there that housed thousands of children. And he did it with a growing prayer life and a faith in God that's amazing. And then he wrote in his diary this. In November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day, he wrote, without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. 36 years later, he wrote that the other two, sons of one of his friends, were still not converted. He wrote, but I hope in God. I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. And in 1897, 52 years after he began to pray daily, Without interruption for these two men, they finally put their trust in Christ. But it was after he died. And Mueller understood what Luke meant in his gospel of Jesus' parable, that we should always pray and not give up. And friends, someone might need to hear the Lord say today, keep asking me. Keep praying for that person. Don't let go. Keep praying. I hope you will. Here's one more thing I noticed this week. He doesn't just pray for others. He asks for others to pray for him. Paul doesn't just say, you need my prayers. He says, and I need yours. Because it's the way God 
has chosen to work. Now, I want to invite you to turn your notes over to the back. This is something that you may want to study. I've, I've actually prepared life group questions, so some of you will see this more this week if you choose to. But I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And if you um, don't have a Bible with you, you can find it on page 814 of the black Bible there in the, in, the, in the rack. And I want to show you something about this, so if you have it ready, we'll look at this in just a second. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, page 814 in the black Bible. Now, when you and I think about taking Paul's prayers and learning how to pray them for others, there's several things just to keep in mind. Steve mentioned this first one last week, and that is, ask the Holy Spirit. I mean, all the time. Just say, Holy Spirit, would you teach me how to pray? Jesus sent you to live in my life so you could teach me how to pray, please. You're the Spirit of Jesus in my life. Teach me how to pray. But then another thing we did last week with the Psalms, you know how you could take a line or take some of the Psalm and rewrite it in your own words? You can do that with, David, with Paul's prayers, just like we did with David's Psalms and others. And so what I've done over the years is sometimes I've taken little business cards or just a, a legal pad of paper and I've written out the verses and then I've just, by the way, there's something powerful about writing out scripture. When you mumble and murmur the, 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 the Bible, it becomes more a part of you. And so by doing that, you begin to see it. And then you can put someone's name in it, but also you can begin to say, what are the things that he prays for that I can pray for? Maybe in my own words, but in a similar way. And the third thing is pick one of Paul's prayers below and practice praying it with others. And I would urge you to do it more than just once. Pray it several times. Pray it for a whole week and then maybe pick another passage and pray that. Like I told you, my friends did Colossians 1 for years, for years, till the wife went to heaven. And then there was a younger couple that took the baton from them, have been praying that every day for me for years. That's just an incredible thing. Now, I'm not saying that when we pray for other people, we don't pray about their specific requests. We do. But along with that, we begin to understand that in a larger context like this. So let me just mention, uh, let me explain how this works, by the way. I asked you to open your Bibles. I want you to see that these five ones that are listed there, do you see them with the check marks? I want you to, I want you to know where they are in the Bible. So if you decide to do this this week or in the time to come, if you look at Ephesians 1, 15 through 19, you see that if you turn a little bit over there across the page or maybe another page over, you'll come to Ephesians 3. And you see Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Those first two of the five are right there, okay? Now, if you turn your Bible to the next book of the Bible, you come to Philippians. And there in Philippians chapter 1 is the third prayer that I've listed there. And you can see that it's verses 9 through 11. And again, you may just want to mark that if you have your Bible with you or just know where that is. Then if you turn to the next book of the Bible, that's Colossians. And there you'll come to that prayer that I've mentioned several times already, verses 1, 9 through 12. And you may just want to make note of that. But now if you skip two, two books and go to 2 Thessalonians, and you come to chapter 1, you'll notice verses 11 through 12, that's where the fifth one is. So in five books of the Bible right next to each other, four out of five have those prayers. And you can just make your way through that if you want to do that. Again, this is... If, if this is interest of you, this would help you. And I've done this over the years. And what I've noticed is, is that God is so faithful 
a lot of times to show me stuff I've never seen before. So I'll just give you an example. If you look up here at Philippians 1, 9 through 11 on the screen, or you can look at it in your Bible, it says, here's what he prays for the Philippian people. I pray that your love will overflow. I pray that your love for Jesus will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. You know, again, we don't want to just, when someone comes to Christ or someone starts with Christ, don't we want to pray they can keep growing? Don't we want to see all that can happen, how rewarding that life can be? Of course, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. If you'd stop right there, sir. That last line this week got me. I realized that one of the ways God wants me to pray more often for people is to pray that they will see the time they have here on earth as short as it is, that they will learn how to see it and live it so that they're ready for the day they stand before Christ and that they can look forward to that day and not dread it, that they can actually be purposeful in their step. And that just helped me. And then he goes on the rest of the prayer. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Let me stop right there. That last line got me. That last line reminded me that what really every one of us is meant to live for, we don't always do it, and sometimes we militate against it, is to live for the glory and praise of God. So if you're in a hospital room, do you realize that you can live in that room for the glory of God? If you're in a job, you can't stand. Do you realize you could still glorify God right there? If you're in a situation with a family situation, you can still say, God, somehow show me how to glorify you instead of just live for my flesh. Man, that's huge. And I can pray that for people, that God will show them ways they can do that and give them the power to do it. One last thing before um, I, I have you turn back over. A few years ago when I spoke on Colossians 1, which is one of those five prayers, I was trying to practice this, and I noticed that there was just two big ideas that Paul prayed for. You may want to write this down if it would help you. He prays that God will fill them with knowledge and strengthen them with power. He prays that God will fill them with knowledge and strengthen them with power. Now, when the Bible talks about knowledge, it doesn't mean your IQ goes up necessarily. It means the kind of knowledge that's personal and practical and real and the kind of knowledge that is deep and not just, you know, yeah, I know, I know. I'm talking about a knowledge that just absolutely transforms our lives. I mean, when you know something so powerful, doesn't it pull you forward? And that's the kind of knowledge he prays for. I pray you'll fill them with knowledge and strengthen them with power. So yesterday, I was just praying, Lord, would you please fill people today? I don't know who it'll be. I don't know who will be there. But I pray somehow, as we look at your word, would you fill them with a knowledge of how to pray for others and then strengthen them with the power to be able to pray and keep praying and that we might learn the lessons you want us to learn. So turn your notes back over to the front. If you would, we'll come back to the back in just a second. So as we wrap up this part on prayer, these five weeks, Here's what I want you to see today, is that Jesus invites us to pray for others with him. Jesus invites us. This is what he's doing. Some people go, what a drag, man. I got to pray for others. I already have a busy life. No, he's saying, join me. I want to invite you into an adventure because I'm doing things in people's lives and I want you to be a part of it with me and I'll teach you about myself as you do that. But some people go, like, what has Jesus been doing since he died and rose again and ascended into heaven? I'm not trying to be irreverent, but it's like he eating bonbons. What's he, like, what's he doing? 
the Bible says is that he is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Romans 8.34, Hebrews 7.25, he ever lives to pray for us. Can you imagine how powerful it is to know that Jesus is praying for your strengthening? Jesus is praying for your growth. Jesus is praying for those things. And oh man, I love when I read Luke 22 this week where he said to Peter on the night before Peter betrayed him, the night Peter betrayed him, Peter says, I'm going to be there for you, man, even if everybody else lets you down. And he goes, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back to me, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Can you imagine having Jesus say, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You're going to go through it in the next few hours. I'm praying for you. And you and I get a chance to join him. He is interceding for us. Thank you, Jesus, for interceding for me right now. Jesus, as I pray for others, this next line, as I pray for others, deepen our, you may want to circle the word our, deepen our relationship with you. Help me to be a person that doesn't just ask you to deepen my relationship with you, deepen our relationship with you, every person I pray for. And this last idea here that we've had the entire series is that when, Jesus said when, not if, but when we give, pray, and fast as he teaches, Jesus himself said it, that it brings reward. It brings reward. What is the reward? Can you imagine what can happen if just several of us walk out of here today and begin to practice this? One of you may have some kids that realize that behind closed doors you're doing something for them and they'll never forget it. And it may be the very means that God uses to change their life. Who knows? You can only imagine. So if you turn your notes over one more time, have I worn you out yet? I want to just give some time to practice this. So you'll see there at the bottom of the notes, I basically rewrote Ephesians 1, 15 through 20. You could do this too. But just in my own words, I try to think, how can I pray this? for some other people. And I want to ask in that blank there, who should you pray for? Is it a son or daughter? Is it a father or mother? Is it a brother or sister? Is it an aunt or an uncle, a grandparent? Is it a classmate? Is it a coworker? Is it a neighbor or a friend? Or someone you just met? This week, I got a text from a friend in California who told me about their sister who I've known and loved. And she got some news that absolutely was like a rogue wave. And I just stood there before God and said, Oh, God, God, show me how to pray for them. Show me how to hold their arms up. So that's who I put in the blank, their initials. But now, I want to ask you, as Michelle plays, would you bow your head if you're willing to do so? And would you pray for that person? Would you practice this right now by praying Ephesians 1, 15 through 20?
God often does so many things. We bow our heads to pray for others. Sometimes our heart breaks with his, with other people. Sometimes we're lifted up and encouraged in ways that we need it so badly. But now I'm going to pray for the people we just prayed for. God, I want to thank you for our family and friends and the people we just all mentioned. We want to thank you that if they have faith in you, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your work in their life. And if they don't yet, we pray for your work in their life. Please lead them to the Lord and help them be saved. And Father, please give them wisdom and understanding that no human being can have unless your Holy Spirit gives it. I pray that they'll be able to know you better and in some cases they'll come to know you, period, for the first time. And please open their eyes so that they can know the hope you've called them to know and experience. Please help them to know the riches, the resources, the internal resources that only you can provide. And pray that they'll know your incredible power working in their lives to help them live the Christian life. So now, God, we cry out to you. For any wayward children, bring them back, O God. For our friends who are far from you, draw them to you. For our fellow brothers and sisters that are going through times of a deep suffering, hold them up, God, and show us how to pray prayers of compassion. And for those that are going through normal days, would you help them to understand what really matters, and that's knowing you and doing what you ask them to do with you. So as we pray, God, now as a church, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Amen. So as we close today, here's just a couple thoughts. One, we've looked at the Lord's Prayer. We've looked at Proverbs 3, 6, the wonder of with, how we can acknowledge him in all our ways. We've looked at the prayer of confession. Last week, we looked at praying the Psalms, and this week, praying Paul's prayers. Next week, we're going to talk about fasting. There's something about how fasting plays a role with prayer that helps intensify our prayers and focus our prayers. So that's the next two weeks. And then after every service, you probably know this, but we have had people for years that are standing here willing to intercede for you, with you, talk to you about questions or doubts or things that are disturbing you or just carrying a burden with you that you might be carrying and you don't want to carry it just by yourself. We'll be glad to pray with you. We'll be honored to pray with you and for you. But then I want you to know that too, we're going to close this time of prayer by singing to the one who can do far beyond all that we imagine or ask and may do it a different way, may work in ways that are beyond us, but he can do it. So let's sing to him and praise his name.